Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Whose idea was it to spring forward? I don't know, maybe it was help us a little longer in the field so our crops would come in, but you know, I haven't been out and uh, been a farmer for a long time, but hey, good for you. You are here at the early service. Good for you. Good for you. You knew where to set your clocks last night. I can't wait to see, because we're going to have this huge crowd in the second service, and a lot of people think, what's going on here? They forgot to spring forward. Thank God for Joe Creech. <laughs> last night about 10, he texted me, said, hey, Jeff, remember, we're springing forward. And I had remembered, but man, I mean, that's like my biggest nightmare, you know? Golly. I got one job with one day a week. I got to show up. <laughs> Make sure you're here on time. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, we are in the midst of a sermon series through this amazing book. Uh, it's a different kind of book. It's something we call wisdom literature. It's a different kind of genre than many other books. It's kind of like Proverbs or, or Job or Song of Songs. And so incredible book. In a lot of ways, uh, this is kind of like the back door to faith. It's unusual because it begins with a very honest look at life and, and it's going to examine all that life has to offer. And it comes to the conclusion that the only way for us to find meaning, the only way for us to find life is if we find God or better said, if he finds us. That the conclusion of the matter is that we should have faith in God, fear him, and, and follow him. If you were here last week, you knew that it was my audition for The Voice. Uh, I told you that if the uh, book of Ecclesiastes had a theme song that ran through it, it would be U2's, I haven't, still haven't found what I'm looking for. You want me to sing it for you again? Was last week enough? Well, this week, if there is a theme song for the passage we're going to look at, and we're going to look at worldly pleasure. He's going to examine uh, all that the world has to offer. If there is a song that maybe sums up this week's passage, and I'm showing my true desire for classic rock, it's this one. Let's see if it works. It never would come to me Working on a mystery Going wherever it leads, I'm running down the dream. Running down the dream. All right, Tom Petty, uh, maybe his dream's a little bit different than my dream, but all of us have been affected by something called the American dream. All of us have been affected by something that says, as Americans, uh, there's a certain type of lifestyle that we are entitled to, that we should pursue. That all of us, in one way or another, are running down a dream. The American dream. And what it has to offer. All that life has to offer. Well, it's interesting because the author of this book, Ecclesiastes, which really we want to be led to, is Solomon. He's going to say, I ran down the dream. I ran down, it's, it's better than the American dream. I ran down the dream of all dreams. Everything the world has to offer, he ran it down. And he says, at the end of the day, meaningless. At the end of the day, vanity. At the end of the day, the take-home pay, nada. Absolutely zippo. All the world has to offer didn't 
do what he was hoping it would, bring him meaning, bring him joy, bring him life. Well, today's passage is the pursuit of the American dream. We're going to look through chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to see the vanity of living the dream. We're going to see the, the heart of our issues and the reason why it doesn't work. And then thirdly, the heart of our pursuits. So let us look to God's word. We're going to pick up where we left off, Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. Although this was written a long time ago, because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it was written in a timeless way. It was written for you. It was written for you right now, where you are and and what you are wrestling with. God wants to speak to you this morning. He wants to speak to you through his word. So would you please listen? Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And this is an important theme of under heaven. This is a pursuit of of finding, trying to find meaning and purpose apart from God. Whatever the world has to offer. In verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my own house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and providences. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was the reward from all my toil. It's interesting to say he did find some pleasure. Well, that was temporary. But here's his conclusion. And I considered all the things my hands had done. And the toil I had experienced in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. It was, it was meaningless. It was a vapor. It was a striving after the wind. It was hurting cats. And there was nothing to be gained. There was no take-home pay under the sun. Let us pray. Father God, so much of what is described in this passage really reveals so much of our hearts, at least mine. That good life, living the dream, finding those things in life that are supposed to make us happy. But God, I thank you for the honesty of Solomon's pursuit. The God that he went to the ends of the earth longing for something. 
And he came up without anything. Came up empty. God, don't let us come up empty this morning. We're here gathered in your name. We're here for your glory. God, would you come? Would you come and would you be with your people in a powerful way? And God, would you be the one who actually teaches us and speaks through, to us through a broken sinner like me? God, would you graciously give us ears to hear the voice of Jesus? God, would you give us minds to understand this passage? It's pretty confusing. And Father, we ask that you would give us hearts, hearts, God, that, that embrace you, that embrace your truth. Really, at the core of this passage is an issue of the heart, an issue of all of our hearts. So God, would you come and would you do that which only you could do? Would you do heart surgery again? Maybe some for the first time. And God, where there's hardness in our hearts because of sin, would you take it away? Where there's darkness in our hearts because of disbelief, would you shine your light? But God, would you lovingly mold every single one of our hearts to beat for you, to be filled with the joy of Jesus. And God, we ask that we would be so powerfully in your presence that we would walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name with great joy, that we would pursue after all that life has to offer in your name, for your glory and for your renown. God, the things that are said that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we'll see is this, is the vanity of living the dream. I mean, this really is living the dream. And this, this passage in 11 verses will show us the accomplishment of the American dream. I don't know if anybody has ever arrived other than Solomon. I don't know if anybody could ever say, yeah, I've been there, I've done that. I've heard bits and pieces of different stories where someone might have obtained a lot of wealth or someone obtained a lot of fame or someone obtained a lot of women, uh, but this person obtained it all. I mean, this one who calls himself preacher or teacher that has this mantle of Solomon, it. he accomplished the American dream. He lived the high life. He squeezed every drop of what the world had to offer regarding happiness and pleasure. It's interesting to see because what he tells us in this is that he went after laughter and he also sought after pleasure. And if you study the Hebrew there, it's basically saying, I went after the lowbrow stuff and I went after the highbrow stuff. I mean, I went after the, the low, the cheap wine and the expensive wine. I went after the cheap women and the refined women. I went after all that the world had to offer. And I came up empty. Solomon was trying to find what he was looking for. He was examining life apart from God. Did he have wine? Oh my. He had his own label. How cool would that be? He had, his own, he had his own vineyards. So it wasn't enough that he had wine. It was he had vats of wine. It wasn't that he had just vats of wine. He had his own stuff. Wow. Talk about, you know, anything you want. What should I get from my own vineyard today? Did he have women? It says that he had concubines full of them. Not to mention, as Scripture will say, 
many of them that he married. I mean, he, he had so many women. He might have made Walt Chamberlain jealous for the number of women he had. Anybody get that? Did he have song? Wine, women, and song. It says that he had male and female singers. Now, we read that today. We think, okay, he had male and female singers. But you understand, in the context and the time that he had written that, when that was written, female singers weren't usually in a choir. They weren't usually the ones. So his, his playlist, his live playlist, had both male and female song at any time, live music, free concerts, live playlists at the tip of his fingers. He had stuff. Talk about his stuff. Houses. Houses weren't enough. Parks. Parks weren't enough. Pools. Pools. He had gobs of money. It says silver, gold. So much stuff. They don't even say he had sheep and goats. He, listen, he had herds. He had flocks. He had everything that the world would say you want to have. It says his heart kept him from nothing. If his eyes saw it, he got it. And he had all the means to accumulate it. I mean, all the stuff that he could ever want, he had. You didn't have to worry about his credit. You didn't have to worry about where to put it. He said, I'm just going to go for it. Go for it all. He had servants. I mean, not just some servants. He had hired servants. It says from around the world. Maybe it's the best cooks from different areas. Maybe the best in their areas that can come and, and, and make that great dish or, or do that thing that, that a servant from this area could only do. I mean, he had so many servants, he had generations of them. They were born in his own house. Everything about him was pampered. Everything about him was served to him. Everything about him was on a golden platter. Whatever he rang a bell for, someone jumped. And what he asked for, someone got. And whatever he thought of, someone made happy. That's what is being said in this passage. He had, it said, whatever his heart desires and the resources to acquire them all, it says in verse 10. It's kind of interesting. You know what he was trying to do? The language of this text is this. He was trying to recapture paradise. This is his pursuit. It's very much of Genesis 2 language. It's very much with the planting and the vineyards and and, and the cultivation and the multiplication. He's basically trying to recapture the Garden of Eden through his own pursuits. But he's trying to do it without God. He's trying to do it under the sun. And he comes up empty. Here's Solomon's conclusion of the American dream. Do you believe it? Here's Solomon's conclusion of all the world has to offer. He says in verse 1, and he, he comes around, and he picks it up again in verse 11. He starts and finishes with, it's all vanity. It's all stinking meaningless. It is all vapor. It's all nothing. I got it all. I love the fact that it did say, I found some pleasure in it. Let me tell you, the sin and what the world has to offer, there is some temporary satisfaction. But at the end of the day, Vanity. At the end of the day, worthless. 
He says that it's a striving after the wind again. This theme keeps coming up. He's, he's basically saying, hey, if you want to find meaning in the world, you want to find your name in the world, you want to find your hope and your pleasure in your world, it's like hurting cats. You're not going to be able to do it. One of the things, one of the many things I love about Maggie Moore, our children's ministry director, what, what an incredible, talented woman she is. She felt God calling her and said, Jeff, I want to, I want to go to O Kids and I want to do Ecclesiastes 2. So can I come into your study meetings? Can I come in and when you're talking about the, the text, can I sit in? And what books, what commentaries would you recommend that I start reading Ecclesiastes? So we sat down this week and we talked about what it would be like. And she has a, uh, uh, something that they're going to do right now in O Kids. She's going to get a blow dryer and, and she's going to get a mitt. And she's going to have a little kid hold a mitt. And she's going to blow the air into it. She says, try to catch it pretty good striving after the wind who can catch that he's basically saying the conclusion of going after this is you're catching air you're you're not getting anything there's nothing to be gained he said remember i've told you this is very much of a business term and this is basically saying if you're trying to find your identity your joy and your purpose and pleasure there's no take-home pay that, that's what he's saying. There's no take-home pay. You take away the liabilities. You take away the costs. You take away where you are. Let me tell you, there's nothing left. There's no take-home pay. There's, there's nothing gained. And again, the key component from all this, he said it a couple times and he ends with it. Under the sun. Life without God. Life without God is basically saying this. The world leaves us empty. I've heard it said, and to be honest with you, I can't remember who said it first. So I'll claim it as my own. And I say it often. God has never made a heart, I usually say soul. God has never made a soul so small that the whole world could fill it. Think about that. That's good. Think about it for a minute. God has never made a heart or a soul so small that the entire world could fill it. You see what he's saying there? I mean, if you could chase after all the world had to offer, if you actually accomplished it, it's not enough. You still want more. We always long. We have a heart issue here, folks. We always long for a beauty we don't have. Whether that's a spouse, car, house, a view, a beauty that we don't have. We long for. No, no, we lust for it. We always long because of an emptiness we can't fill. That no matter where we are in life and no matter how much money we have and no matter where our kids are, no matter what's going on, you know we got this emptiness inside. You know that we still long for more. Even on your best daggum day, you wonder, not enough. Say Why? Several years ago, Jim Dobson, from the fame of Focus on the Family, had this quote. Katie and I were recently married when I stumbled upon this, and we put it in one of the first Christmas cards we ever sent out. It's a really a great summation of this. Here's what he said. He said, I've concluded that the accumulation of wealth, even if I could achieve it, is insufficient reason for living. 
When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look backward on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses and land and machines and stocks and bond, nor is fame of any lasting benefit. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Nothing else makes much sense. That's what Solomon's saying. Who did pursue after all that that Dobson said was meaningless. Who did, and he came to the same conclusion. Nothing makes sense. So what's the issue? Now it's the second point. Let's look at the heart of the issue. It's really the heart of our issue. I started taking, uh, I pride myself never taking medicine. When you go to the doctors, they say, what meds you're on? I say, nothing. Oh, natural, right here. <laughs> Healthy as can be. Did you have the flu shot? I don't ever get the flu shot because I don't get the flu. You know what's going to happen next week, right? <laughs> so I developed an eye twitch in the last couple of weeks. It's because of all your lives that are so heavy on mine that I'm bearing all these burdens. Okay, my stuff's at the top of the list, right? So I start like having this eye twitch and you never notice that people like don't naturally look past it. I've been in meetings, people say, what's wrong with your eye? Dude, it's twitching uncontrollably, all right? And I can't help it. And somebody said, well, it might be blood pressure related. And so we were in community group and my eyes twitching, and someone said, you may have a blood pressure problem, and one person in our community group carries around a blood pressure machine, who does those kind of things, and ran out, and of course, couldn't put it on these pipes, you know, I mean, you say, you're going to have a wrong reading, man, I, oh, those are for chicken arms, these are some pipes here, and, and we started doing some blood pressure stuff, and realized, man, it's, it's pretty high, and so I, I went to a doctor, and I started taking blood pressure medicine this week. No more au naturel. And it's kind of nice waking up. I I had to go for the extra big boy cuff and got my own blood pressure monitoring thing thing and see where I am. Because I'm worried to think that, man, do I have a heart issue? Do I have a stress issue? Well, the reality of Scripture, the reality of our lives is we all have a heart issue. And it's not just high blood pressure. And it's not just clogged arteries. And it's not the amount of blue cheese that I eat. There's more than that. Our heart issue is this, we all long for more, right? And we we got a problem here. We never have enough. And I think that the answer to to our our, our struggles is, again, it's always found in God's Word. It's always found with God. And and again, I'm using this this passage, I mentioned it last week, to me, a passage that kind of all of Ecclesiastes hinges on is Ecclesiastes 3.11. Will you hear these words, please? Ecclesiastes 3.11, and we'll get there here shortly, it says this, that God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. That God will make beautiful that which we long for. But he says this also, but also he has put eternity into man's heart. Oh my goodness, we have a heart problem is because God himself has put eternity in our hearts. So let me ask you, what fills eternity? What in the world can fill eternity? Can everything the world has to offer of all time fill eternity? And you know the answer. 
So the problem is a heart issue. We, we see where this began. I mean, how did Solomon start this whole passage? Solomon said, he said, in my heart, I'm going to speak to myself. I'm going to speak to my heart. And this is what I'm going to say to my heart, which, by the way, we know has eternity in it. He's going to say to his heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He's basically saying to his heart, hey, you got a problem. You got wants. You got needs. You got emptiness. So here's what you got to do. Go out there and find it in the world. He's basically saying, I will try to fill the eternity in my heart that God put there with temporal and worldly things. Strike one, strike two, strike three. Never. Only God. Listen, only God. We all have a heart problem. Only God can fill eternity in our hearts. Only God can, can give us the beauty that we all long for. Only God can to fill in the needs that we all have. Only God. And he's begun to do that, but it, it's not fully here yet. And so even for those of us that, that love Jesus, even for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, even us who could say Jesus is the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful person I've ever seen, I still have a hole. I still have eternity because his kingdom has come and it's not here fully. And his beauty can be seen, but it's not fully seen. He's, he's, he's not fully seen yet. But only he can feel it. My brothers, my sisters, you have a heart problem. And your heart problem is longing for more. And it's not, it's, it's not going to be found in what the world has to offer. There's, there's not one earthly relationship that's going to happen to you that's going to make everything right. There's not a birth of a child or, or a stage in life or a promotion. or There's not, there's not enough. There's not enough. You've you got a heart problem. You really do. So do I. Only God can fill it. It's, it's got to start. You see, it's got to start with a realization. We don't turn to our hearts and say, well, pursue everything the world has to offer. We turn to our hearts and say, God, man, what do I do? Would you come? Would you love me? Would you fill it? Would you help me walk by faith? The heart of our problems. This last thing is the heart of our pursuits. You know what? C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying a lot of things. This is one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. You ready for this one? It's actually one of the books that was written about him or written with letters exchanged to him. Uh, and it says this. Lewis says, it is a Christian's duty. Listen to this. If you're a Christian, you're going to love this, okay? This is a good one. Write this one down, underline it, and say, yeah, my preacher told me this is true, all right? It is a Christian's duty for everyone to be as happy as he can or she can. It is your duty, it's your responsibility to be as happy as you absolutely can. That each one of us is to seek, is to seek pleasure. Every single one of you, go seek pleasure in a different way than maybe Joel Olstein tells you to do it. Go seek pleasure. You see, pleasure isn't our problem. Our problem isn't that we should live some hermit life absent of pleasure. God wants us ridiculously joyful in the midst of an incredibly broken world. Pleasure is not the problem. The pursuit of pleasure is not the problem. It's the condition of the heart that's the problem, which leads to the, the heart's pursuit. The bottom line is, is the heart's pursuit of pleasure was the problem because he was pursuing after the wrong sort of pleasure with a broken heart. This passage is living out the mantra of the chief end of man or the purpose end of man is this, is man. This is basically saying life's all about you. Go get what you can get. 
Life's all about your happiness. Go find it the best you can. Life is really revolves around you and you are the center of your own universe. Go make the most of it. This is the mantra, the chief end of man is man. This is basically saying that your personal happiness is the primary thing. But let me tell you, you gotta hear this. God has created you for so much more than your own personal happiness. God has created you for something so much more than the pursuit of your own personal happiness. And we cannot ever find what we're looking for apart from him. We can find it in him and him alone, in the work of his son. Look back at this passage just briefly. Do you know that, how egocentric is this passage? Did you hear it? Did you pick it up? In this passage, the personal pronoun I was used 18 times. My was used 13 times. Me was used four times. Myself was used four times. Is there a theme here? Even when he says, when I said to myself, he actually uses yourself, pointing back to himself again. Enjoy yourself. Clearly, this is self-seeking pleasure for the purpose of finding whatever the world has apart from God underneath the sun. And it simply doesn't work. The pursuit of proper pleasure. The Westminster Confession of Faith. Shorter Catechism 1. If you've been around Reformed churches, if you've been around um, churches like ours, you might have heard of the Shorter Catechism. A lot of people know the first one who asked the question, what is the chief end of man? Or what is man's primary purpose? Anybody heard it before? Anybody know it? The chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I mean, he's basically saying, Solomon, you are showing us what life looks like as the chief end of man being man. But that's not why God made you in his image. That's not why God has given you life. Your life is for him. And his glory, he's made you for something so much bigger, so much grander than the pursuit of your own personal pleasure. He's made you for himself. And the chief end, the primary purpose of your life, you and I are here to bring glory, renown, fame to the God who made us, to the son who rescued us. We are here for him and his glory. We are here for his story. We we are here for his pleasure. And here's the beauty. It's not some, okay, God, I'm going to live my life. My life stinks, but I'll do it for you because I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to find no pleasure in just trying to be this religious nut. No. He says, you're going to find the pleasure you long for. You're going to find the beauty that you just so want to see. You're going you're to find that emptiness being filled as you pursue after God. And you're going to find a happiness and a joy that's unexplainable. You're going to have peace that's going to pass understanding. You're going to have joy that comes in the morning. I mean, you're going to go through some deep valleys, but you're going to know that you're not alone. And you know that he's promised to be with you and for you. And you know that his light is going to shine into your life. And you were created to find your joy in Jesus. John Piper does a phenomenal job with this. 
For those of you who may have read one of his greatest works, uh, Reformed Baptist preacher in the Minnesota area, he wrote Desiring God. And in that, he put a phrase together that's kind of striking, Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism sounds like a contradictory of terms. But he will take this Westminster Confession of Faith and, and tweak it a little bit. And he'll say this, the chief man, end of man is glorifying God. Now listen to this, very good. The chief end of man is glorifying God while enjoying him forever. While enjoying him. You, we, that we, we bring God pleasure. How we do that? By, by loving him, by enjoying him, by enjoying the, the sunrise that he's given us, the sunset, the beauty of our relationships, by the small things, the, be- the big things, by enjoying God, by enjoying God because of his grace and the work of his son. You're a beloved son in Christ Jesus. Everything you do matters in Christ Jesus. And we can enjoy him. One of my favorite passages is, is in Lamentations 3. And the whole book of Lamentations is lament. God's people are in Babylon. It's a bad place. God's people are in exile. God's people are broken. I mean, God's people have been driven out. And they're talking about how bad it is. And it's bad. I mean, it's, it's awful. And it's darker and darker and darker. And you get to uh, Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, Lamentations 3. And he's going to say, but morning by morning, new mercies I see, and great is your faithfulness. Are you kidding me? Have you been there? I mean, have you been to the pit? And you just could hear a bird sing, or you could see a sunrise, and you say, but you know what? God's with me. And God's mercies are fresh today. And great is God's faithfulness. It's finding joy in the storm. See, God has made you for, your, for himself and only he can provide what you and I long for. God has put eternity in our hearts and only he can fill eternity. God has created us for beauty, his beauty, and he and he alone can make everything beauty, beautiful in its time. The place we need to begin is the beginning of examining our own hearts and the pursuit of our hearts. Does it start with a place of gratitude? I mean, Solomon started by saying, let me ask my heart, go fill it up. We need to stop and say, God, thank you so much for all that you have given to me in Christ Jesus. Start with thanksgiving. Start your pursuit with gratitude of who you have if you have Christ Jesus. There's a place that you start knowing that you're walking by faith no matter what darkness he has you in. Are you walking and living your life knowing that he will make everything beautiful in its time and he and he alone can do that? And the beautiful thing about the book of Ecclesiastes and the truth of Scripture is is that we pursue God and as we live and walk in faith, you ready for this? Everything has meaning. Everything has purpose. We find beauty everywhere. We find pleasure in the smallest of things saying, God, thank you. We can find life and life abundantly. In closing, God wants you to live the dream. God does. Go live the dream. But live the dream of walking by faith with your God. Live the dream of praying that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Live the dream of walking with a grateful heart of who you are in Christ Jesus, beloved, forgiven, and his. 
live the dream of walking free that your sins have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west if you are in Christ Jesus. Live fully alive in Christ Jesus that, that the Holy Spirit has come and has made you a new creature. Live a fruitful life to advance His kingdom. Live the dream. But may it be the dream for His glory. That's the only way for us to ever find happiness in Him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that pleasure is not the wrong thing or a bad thing. and Even the pursuit of pleasure is not the bad, the wrong thing. But God, because our hearts are so broken, we just pursue and seek for pleasure in all the wrong places. And God, I pray that by your grace and for your glory, that you would cause each one to examine our lives and our pursuits and say, are we saying that the chief end, the primary purpose of our lives is ourselves or you? And God, give us the grace to repent of all the things that we do to pursue ourselves that we've forgotten you. And God, give us the joy and the happiness and the meaning of living every moment for your glory pursuing after your name and your holiness and your righteousness, walking with the spirit of your son. Thank you that in there we find our freedom, in there we find our life, in there we find our joy and fruitfulness. And God, I pray that God, as we leave here, that we would pursue hard after you and find the life that we all long for. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.